Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Well, hello, PCC, and happy July. I want to give a special shout out to all you house churches meeting out there all over the peninsula, and a special shout out to our Orlando, Florida house church. We see you, wish I could join you, but I am here in the worship center at PCC, and this is still a sacred space. We will be back together when God wants that to happen, but until then, let's be the church and let's dig into his word as we discover what it means to be one kingdom indivisible, how we put kingdom allegiance over earthly alliances. Last week, we did an overview of the whole series. This week, we're jumping into the book of Genesis. Oh, it's going to be good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that all scripture has been inspired and God-breathed by you. And Jesus, even here in the book of Genesis, as we see you clearly, We pray that you would mold our hearts, shape our convictions, help us to see the kingdom and see every person as you see them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, growing up in my home, there was a picture that was iconic. It was so valuable to me growing up. Uh, When my parents died, it was actually the only thing I wanted. It was the picture of my great-grandfather, Lorenzo. Lorenzo Gadini. I'm actually named after him. My middle name is Lawrence. It was taken just around the turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, in front of a, a Gadini home with a capstone from 1796. This picture my father referred to all the time because he told us the story of Gadini's, how Lorenzo had two sons, and one of them, my grandfather, fought in World War I, and then it was a story of immigration, and how he came through Ellis Island, and then how he worked his way across the country, settled in San Francisco in the North Beach area, was married, worked through a depression. This, my friends, this picture was the story handed to me over my life and over our family. We all have a story, right? Our stories shape our identities. Our stories actually define us. They tell us who we are. They help us understand how we fit in this complex and sometimes even complicated world. We find ourselves in a cultural moment where our national stories are actually being called into question. Is America a Christian nation? Are we a nation of immigrants? Are we the land of opportunity? Or are we the land built on systemic oppression? Or is it a little bit of each? This retelling of the story, or actually questioning our story, is creating great division in our country. And the only hope for a divided country and a divided culture is a united church. But what will unite us? That's why this series is coming to us. Because we believe the kingdom of God, the story of the kingdom of God, is much grander and greater than any family story handed to you or any cultural story that we could live into. I want you to take 90 seconds and think about that and ask this question. What stories have shaped you? Ready? Go.
Hey, so you need to understand as a pastoral staff, this series, our heart is that we understand our primary identity is not as Americans. It's not as members of an ethnic group. It's not as a Republican or Democrat or Libertarian. Those all are important. But our primary identity is to be kingdom agents. Philippians 3.20, we are citizens of heaven. I want our kingdom allegiance to take precedence over every earthly alliance and every story handed to us. And so we're going through the story arc of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation in eight weeks to look at this grand story of the kingdom of God. Let's start in Genesis And let me build out this story in three parts. Here's the first. We were created with a shared purpose. The story of the kingdom begins in creation under this part. We were created with a shared purpose. And here it is, friends, to bless the world. Okay, raise your hand if you loved group projects in school. Come on, raise your hands wherever you are. Now look around. Everyone with their hands raised, right, they saw group projects as an opportunity to slack off. That's why they loved them. We know. We know. Actually, my daughter Elizabeth, when she was a senior at Sequoia High School, came into our bedroom one night because she was working on a group project. People were slacking off, and she literally said, Mom and Dad, I cannot wait. When I die, I want this, this group to be at my burial so I can say they let me down one more time. We love that. Well, apparently God loves group projects as well. God's first instruction he gave to his creation, it was a group project. Look at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Look what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Look at the pronouns here. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now look at this, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now look at that passage, and if you dive a little deeper, you'll notice that God had some goals in mind when he created us in community. Here's the first. God gave them something to do. The man and woman were meant to steward God's incredible creation. That word steward means to manage. It's stewards don't own, they manage. This creation, culture, it's not ours, it's God's. Look at the verbs. In essence, in verse 28, the verbs mean bring life to the world. So the second goal was to steward God's creation when he gave him something to do, to do it together, together. Again, the pronouns, God bless them. He said to them. This is a group project, right? See, the people were created in the image of God, who we just saw in Genesis 1.26, was called in us an allusion to the Trinity, the perfect community. Friends, the kingdom story begins with this mandate. We're created to build a shared life together. This, my friends, is our God-given mandate. This calls us into the greater story. And PCC, when we're at our best, 
We live this out on mission. I see this lived out so beautifully when I think of the history of PCC in things like uh, beautiful days and when we used to gather around schools doing shared life together, stewarding God's creation in our city. I see this lived out in Ensenada, Mexico, when primarily high school students, but other adults go down across the border and build and expand the kingdom together. There's beautiful unity. I see this lived out when uh, just yesterday when a grandfather and a grandson showed up with hygiene kits and donated them for our friends on the street through Street Life Ministry. I see this lived out when PCCers buy and repurpose businesses like I just heard of Laurel Street Arts in San Carlos. And the owners don't want people just to paint mugs. They want to create a kingdom outpost right there on Laurel Street in San Carlos where people can build a shared life together. Friends, this is where the kingdom of God starts. But something went terribly wrong. It's the second part of the story. Sin divided and dehumanized God's image bearers. That word dehumanized is a pretty descriptive word. Let me tell you why I use it. The perfect human who ever lived, or I say it this way, the most human human who ever lived, guess who it was? It was Jesus. You'd expect that answer in church, right? But it's true. He was never marred by sin. If you ever want to see how we're created to interact, look to Jesus. If you ever see what we were created to be angry at, look at what got Jesus angry. He was never touched by sin. He was fully human. But human mars the image of God in each one of us. And it mars the way we are created to do community together. That's what sin does. So unity, when sin enters the world, uh, is broken. Community is compromised. And destructiveness ensues. The author of all this, Jesus would say in John 14, 6, is a thief, Satan himself, who comes to steal and kill and destroy. Sin enters the world, and Adam and Eve live out that threefold plan. Instead of living into God's design, they live into Satan's destruction. Look what it says in Genesis 3, 2. The man said, after they sinned and transgressed, we're going to move into the story in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. Sorry, Genesis 3, 12. God holds them to account. And look how community is broken down. Suddenly blame, shame, and disunity come into the human race. God says, what happens? The man says, the woman you put here with me. In other words, he's blaming God. It's not my fault I sinned. It's your fault, God. You put her here with me. And then he turns to Eve and says, she gave me the fruit, and so I ate it. The rest of the book of Genesis is filled with division and destruction. Husband against wife, children against parents. But the most common way divisiveness happens, brother against brother. Friends, I want you to know unity is God's design. Disunity is a result of the enemy. And whenever you see disunity happening on the planet, it's just another indicator Satan is alive and well. Brother against brother, though. That's the most common disunity in the scriptures. Isaac against Ishmael. Jacob hates Esau. But the first brothers 
who hated each other and fought? Cain and Abel. Jump into Genesis chapter 4, verse 8, and let's look at this. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. Now while they were in the field, and by the way, I am really truncating here. Just read the whole book, uh, I'm sorry, the whole chapter, Genesis 4, to jump into this. But while they were in the field, look at this, Cain attacked his brother Abel and what? Killed him. I want you to sit in that for a minute. These are two brothers. This is hand to hand. This is brutal. This is disgusting. Our headlines have been filled with murders that have upended our whole culture. And it goes all over the place, right? George Floyd is murdered. A Santa Cruz police sheriff is murdered as he's trying to protect a culture, he's, a community's ambush. Murders all over the place in our headlines. We get used to it. It's horrific and it's gruesome. And God hates it. And he calls Cain into account. And when he comes to Cain, look at Cain's response. This is really important, okay? Because his response is at the core of racism, of prejudice, of brutal political attacks against Republicans or against Democrats that even happen in our church, that happen on social media. It all comes down to the question that Cain asked God. Look what it says, Genesis 4, 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? Now Abel's dead, right? And Cain's got to cover it up. He says, I don't know. Here it is. Here's the question. Here's the five words that divide our culture. Here's the five words, the earthly preferences that will divide our church. And remember, the hope for a divided culture is a united church, not a divided church. Here it is. Am I my brother's keeper? It's really important we understand what that word keep means because it's important to the unity in God's original design, it's important actually to the unity in our church, it's important to the heart of God. That word to keep means to take care of, to guard, or to regard. It's actually used when a, a keeper is tending something of great value to him or her. It's used in the Old Testament of keeping a garden, or keeping a flock, or even keeping a house. This is important, my friends. And here's my heart. The church should be better keepers than anyone on the planet because our motive for keeping is the conviction that within everyone, there exists the image of God. Am I making sense? What I'm trying to say is this. You will never look into the eyes of anyone who doesn't bear God's image. And that conviction creates a mandate for you and me, an ethic, really, that we keep well the other. Friends, this is what the whole parable of the Good Samaritan was about when Jesus was telling the parable of the kingdom. And this is actually, this, this concept of keeping, this is what uh, the book, The Third Option, is actually built on. We're asking all of you to read this book the third option as we're going through this. And it primarily deals with racism. And it's a wonderful, wonderful work, uh, biblically, theologically, sociologically on racism. But it's built on this. Are we really keeping each other because they bear the image of God? That's the third option. Rather than tearing down, the third option is to honor one another. 
I'm just going to say this. If we refuse to see God's image in all of our neighbors, we'll never keep them. If we refuse to see God's image in all of our neighbors, including our undocumented neighbors, our unjustly criminalized and incarcerated neighbors, our police neighbors who serve to protect us, if we don't see the image of God in our Republican neighbors or our Democrat neighbors or our economically crushed neighbors, friends, if we don't see the image of God in our unborn neighbors, we're forfeiting our kingdom story and we're destroying culture. We're stealing, killing, and destroying. And you see it all the time. Just read your homepage. But our sin divides and destroys that very purpose that God has for us, to bless the world together. And it centers around a question around who are we called to keep? But the third part of this kingdom story is amazing. Our sin didn't ruin the story. God is the hero of the story. The third part is this, God restores and unites us into an eternal purpose. What we see at the end of the book of Genesis is a figure raised up who what theologians call is a type of Jesus. Throughout the Bible, there are men and women who, uh, who are types, who are metaphors to the gospel. And we see in Joseph an image of Jesus, kind of a, a, a forecasting of who Jesus is. We're going to pick it up in Genesis 37. Remember how we said uh, sin coming in the world divided primarily through brother against brother? Here's a division. There's 12 sons. 11 of them conspire together to kill Joseph. Genesis 37, verse 23 and 28. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. The Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and threw him uh, and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. What's going on here? Well, instead of murdering Joseph, they strip him of his robe, throw him in a cistern, and then some Midianite traders come, so they sell him into slavery. So now they can profit from Joseph's life being eradicated from theirs. So now fast forward, eight chapters in Genesis, many years ahead, and Joseph has grown in the ranks of Egypt. He actually has a very high government position, which allows him to guide the country through a seven-year famine. His brothers come to him for assistance, not knowing he's Joseph. So we're in a room now. It's those 11 or 10 brothers who sold him into slavery, and Joseph, Genesis chapter 45, verse 4 to 7, so Joseph says to his brothers, come near to me, please. What would you do in that moment? Your brothers have ruined your life, shamed you, left you for dead. And now you're face to face with them. You have all the power. They have all the sin. Look what Joseph did. He says, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me ahead of you. And here's why theologians call Joseph uh, a type of Jesus. Look at this. To preserve life. 
for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there's five years in which there'll be neither plowing nor harvest. But God sent me ahead of you, before you, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. In other words, to write a kingdom story over your life to replace the earthly story that you've lived into. Here's what I want to see us to see. One man has drawn together a group of brothers, but he doesn't just unite them, he restores them to a kingdom purpose. And that purpose is to bless the world. Joseph is literally keeping, keeping his brothers. Keeping his brothers. Do you see Jesus and Joseph? Do you see one who was given up for death? And through that death, restores, repurposes, and saves the world. See, the story of the kingdom of God, my friends, involves one man uniting diverse people together and restoring them to a purpose to bless the world. That's why Jesus came to earth. That's why the church was established, so that the people, the multitudes, could come together. And when we come together, we prioritize our kingdom allegiance to our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords over every earthly alliance, every cultural alliance, every family alliance, every racial alliance, every political alliance. Take second place to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. Friends, I want you to know we are created with a purpose to bless the world. Sin has divided and thwarted that purpose. But God has come in Jesus and created us as a church to unite and to restore us to that purpose. This is the story of the kingdom. And our divided, hurting world, our broken world, which is filled with pain, needs a united church coming together around this one purpose. You know, I was introduced to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in my late teens. I was living out that family story being given to me. But here's the thing. In that family story told to me, I was only told the good parts. You know, as my parents died five years ago, two years ago, as I've gone through their stuff and read through their yearbooks and other things, as I've talked to aunts and uncles and cousins, you know what I've learned? Maybe it's because I was the youngest. I don't know. Things were kept from me. What wasn't told to me, but what was passed in through the spiritual DNA, sin does this, it's called generational sin, were stories of philandering, stories of abuse, stories of abusing substance in people, stories of a great sin. It's terrible. I mean, there's things I learned even just two weeks ago that have brought great pain to me, and I don't know why they were kept from me. But thank God that Jesus stepped in to say to me, you know what, you don't need to live that story. I've got a kingdom story, it's one of restoration. I can repurpose your life in a way that is so grand and so eternally significant. I wanna ask as we close, which story are you gonna live? Is it going to be the generational story handed to you or the family story handed to you? Are you primarily going to live out your political story of whether you identify as red or blue or somewhere in between? Or is it going to be some other ethnic story? Listen, these are all important. 
And please don't hear what, I, uh, what I'm not saying. I'm not saying those don't matter. But what I'm saying is the most significant thing that could ever happen in our life as a church is to give our full allegiance to the story of the kingdom, to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What alliance on earth is worth more than your allegiance to Jesus Christ? It's a good question to end on. Next week, we're going to pick up the story in the Exodus, in the book of Exodus, and see how in the kingdom of God we're called out. That's coming next week, but let's pray right now. Father, as we close our eyes, as we bow our heads, whether we're alone in a room, whether we're listening to this on a podcast, or we're in a community, in a home, I would ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak over us your kingdom truth of who we are. That you would raise our head to who you are, Jesus. Reveal yourself to us in a fresh, new way. And even now, even as I pray, would you show us who is it Who is the brother or the sister? What aspect of our community are you calling us to keep? We are our brother's keeper. And Father, may we live empowered by the Holy Spirit to build and join you, Jesus, in growing your kingdom. May it be done for us on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.